0: What happened to me as I became a teenager is my narrative was, I'm just a lazy failure.
1: You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 386. Today, we're talking about how to help ADHD kids with Seth Perler. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark-Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, A Mindful Guide to Breaking the Cycle of Reactive Parenting and Raising Kind, Confident Kids. If you have not done
2: so, hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you've ever gotten any value from this podcast, do me a favor and go over to Apple
1: Podcasts, leaving us a rating and review. It helps the podcast grow more. It will take 30 seconds, and I greatly appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. You appreciate it, don't you, Maggie? Uh, yeah, sure. Thanks, honey. In just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Seth Perler. My daughter Maggie is here now, but she won't be there for that conversation. We're going to be talking about ADHD kids, and Seth was one of those kids when he was little. He was called lazy, unmotivated, and easily distracted by his teachers. Now he helps struggling ADHD kids not just survive, but thrive. In this episode, we talk about helping kids with executive functioning and why it's so important, and even we give some very concrete tools that you can use with your child. So listen all the way to the end for that awesome tool, and I think you're going to love this episode, my friend. It's very, very valuable. I really enjoyed Seth. So join me at the table as I talk to Seth Perler. Go to MindfulParentingCourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's MindfulParentingCourse.com. I'll see you there. So welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast, stuff.
0: Thanks. It's so fun to be here. Let's, yeah, let's dive in.
1: All right. So I'm excited to talk to you because we have a shared passion about the prefrontal cortex that I'm excited to dive into. But before we get there, I want to talk a little bit about you and your story. When you were a kid, you were t- called lazy, unmotivated, easily distracted. And I imagine that was incredibly hard. What was your childhood like and what struggles did you go through as a student?
0: Yeah. So in my bio, like I, I write about that. And what I had done is I, w- I was at my... um my parents' house a couple years ago, and my mom pulls out this old file, and it has all these old report cards in it, and we were looking over them laughing and everything, but yeah, it's a daydreamer, lazy, doesn't try, unmotivated, and all of these things, and what's so interesting is that, that those are the messages that I hear so often in in 2022, in this day and age, from fam- the families that I work with, that they're still getting those same messages their kids are still getting those messages so
1: that's so frustrating
0: um there's still so much ignorance about it and in fact i was just talking to somebody else last week another um podcast uh podcaster who was saying how they just went through something and and just how astounding it is that these things are still so prevalent but my childhood as far as this stuff is concerned first of all i i was adopted uh, into this fantastic family who did not understand ADHD, know I had ADHD or executive function challenges or anything, but in first grade was when I first started getting the messages. And they were basically what you were you were saying, you know, unmotivated, doesn't try. The, the, they were gentler in, at younger ages, and then as they got more into middle school, it was more, uh, they were more critical. But there, there are all those sorts of messages. And for me, I really did start to internalize those messages. And what happened to me as I became a teenager is my narrative was, I'm just a lazy failure. Now, we all have an inner critic and our inner critics say different things. But the one that mine defaulted to is, I'm just a lazy failure. And I know now after looking at it that that was such a convenient one for me. To just say, oh well, I can't do anything right. I'm not even going to try, and it, it was a way for me to get pity and get people off my back. That's kind of how I use. I mean, I would use different messages, but that was my biggest inner critic voice. I'm just a lazy failure, and so I, I really internalized that shame. I became very depressed, anxious. Um, but if you were to look at me, I was a free-spirited, happy kid. But inside, when and I'm an extrovert. Inside, when I was alone by myself in my own thoughts. Uh, It was a dark place. Uh, There was a lot of inner critic, a lot of, I can't do anything right. I'm never going to be able to figure this out. Never going to be able to do anything with my life. And um, a a lot of self-hatred and very cruel self-talk. So that's kind of, you know, and then I've again vacillated between this like kid who had so much wonder, so much creativity, so playful, love human beings, love animals. Like, I was out in the world in a way where I love connecting with people. So I think that also, you know, a lot of the um, disabilities that people have are invisible. And that was certainly for me, one of them is that I really looked like a happy person in terms of that when I was with people, I really probably was having a great time and really engaged and really living in a lot of my strengths. But in my own uh, mind, um, in my story about my worth as a human being, it was pretty dismal.
1: I can really relate to what you're saying about like the extrovert being engaged thing. Did you feel like you were on like a roller coaster emotionally? Because I I mean, at least for me, I, I don't I don't identify as ADHD in any way or shape or form, but as a, like a highly sensitive person and extrovert, I, I was always like when I was with people, I was so on, I had so much enthusiasm and just so engaged by life and doing all the things. And then I can really relate to that. Then there would be like a deep dive a lot of times sort of when I was moments on my own that that would happen to me sort of my pre my meditation practice. I mean, that was a big piece for me was that that roller coasterness. Does that sound, sound like something that was there for you?
0: I was on a roller coaster, but I don't know that I felt like I was on a roller coaster because when it was dark, it felt like that was never going to end. Yeah, like I was going to feel like yeah. that forever. And when it was good, I almost didn't notice it. Time went by so fast. Yeah, and so it's not like I was self aware enough to to reflect and be like, "Oh, I'm on a roller coaster." It was just like whatever I was in in the moment was there forever. Was where I was at. It was always. <laughs> and I think that might be related to some of my executive function stuff in terms of. Part of executive function is reflection and self-awareness and metacognition. Mm-hmm. And while I was a really introspective person in a lot of ways, in some ways, I like in this way, I wasn't reflective enough to back up and zoom out and be like, oh, I'm on a roller coaster. You know, it was just like when I was in the moment, it was like, oh, my gosh, yeah. life sucks. People suck. Everything sucks. The world's yes. a horrible place. And it's just getting worse. And it just felt like that would never end. And then. Again, I kind of missed, it. and I think that one of the practices in my life today, you alluded to <laughs> meditation and mindfulness, but is to enjoy how good something is when it's good oh. is like a practice I, I work on actively today to really notice how amazing things are when they are.
1: Yeah, yeah, because then we, we also have our negativity bias, right? That's like focusing on the things that are negative. And you talk in your bio, you talk about how you turned it around, like things got pretty bad, like you know, high school, you know, college, you were living with your parents and it it wasn't good. And you talked about asking for help. So I'd love it if you could just like dive a little deeper into this, like how you turn that around for yourself.
0: Yeah, I guess for me, you know, I I almost failed out of high school. Um, I went into college on probation during the summer program. Then I failed out of college. I went to another college. I went to live with my grandma um, and got into a community college, failed out of that college. And I just really was just just I and the only reason I went to college was because I thought I was supposed to and to get away from my parents. And um but and my parents are great. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But, you know, I wanted to be an adult and I did not have the skills to be an adult. But I think for for me, I um I became so hopeless and I just reached a point where I was like, you know what, I'm going to. I'm. I'm. Want to give life a try. I mean, I'd gone through this multiple times. but I was like, I want to give life a try again. I want to like, you know, really see what I'm made of. And I need help. And I. I. I don't know how. I realized I needed help, except that I was in a lot of pain, and I didn't know how to change. And I always acted like I knew all the answers and stuff. And for the first time, I was like, I don't know anything. I can't trust myself when I think I know the answers. I don't I really don't and I don't even know when I'm lying myself. At that point I was like, I'm gonna ask for help. And I really just started learning the I'll say skills of asking for help. And doing I was just like, I'm I'm willing to ask anybody and just I'm not ashamed of it and just be like, hey, will you please tell me? And whether or not I get it, I'm gonna ask. And I'm like that to this day almost comical in my personal life like people know me really well but i'll ask for what i want slash need and, and shamelessly today um <laughs> and not necessarily tactfully but um but i will ask for for what i want and but that's where i learned it is i was like will you help me and will you help me more and will you help me more and really uh, i guess not just asking for it but learning to receive it um this is part of that like Okay, thank you. I'll, I'll receive the help. I'll really take that into consideration. One of my saving graces is, is that when I would hear when people would try to help me at this point in my life, and I would hear something that I didn't like from them, and my nervous system—I couldn't articulate this then—but my nervous system would get agitated, and I'd go into fight, flight, or freeze, or whatever. One of my saving graces was when I regulated or downregulated or got, you know, back to my baseline. I was always asking myself, Is there truth in what that person said? Uh, almost inevitably there was like but my initial reaction, so we can use the terms respond and react, my initial reaction was always that jerk or that whatever you know they don't who who are they to say that they don't know me, blah blah, but I would go back and I would say, Is there truth in what they said so that open-mindedness for me was a real saving grace.
1: Stay tuned for more Mindful Mama podcasts right after this break. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. Is called Understood Explains. New episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's Mysteries About True Histories. We're going to pick up where you left off because I love this idea, this open-mindedness that you described in this asking for help and is there truth and what people said and this, this is like what you're talking about in a lot a lot of ways is like getting that larger awareness um, into the picture, right you know coming you know you're you're talking about that that piece and I'm wondering if that started to kick in like as you're in your your early 20s right like that is when we know now we know that the prefrontal cortex starts to fully develop. So let's talk about that. You talk a lot about executive function. Let's talk about what is it and how does it pertain to kids who are suffering um, with ADHD and what are the things that parents and teachers should understand about it but don't really understand?
0: Well, executive function is how the brain or the prefrontal cortex of the brain or the frontal lobe or the front third of your brain, if you put your hand on your forehead right now, the part of the brain right behind your hand, that that is what helps us to execute tasks. To So the word executive, the word execute, to get things done, to execute tasks, complex tasks. So you and I are recording uh, a show right now. We're executing a pretty complex task. In order to do that, we had to use different executive function skills to do this. We had to plan. Uh. We had to organize. We have to prioritize. Um, as you know, I have people that are like doing work on the house outside, making all this um noise they're using sanders and stuff so i have to prioritize focusing and being present with you i i have to focus pay attention concentrate so that there's prioritization so i'm prioritizing our conversation over the noise but i'm also focusing and in order to do that i also have to inhibit distractions so this is very distract what i hear and i'm sure you the listener probably aren't hearing this through my mic but i'm hearing noise distracting noises So I have to inhibit those distractions. That's part of executive function. So impulsivity is following our impulses. Inhibiting is to hold back in certain ways. So I'm holding back from allowing myself to be distracted. Anyhow, I talk about 13 different executive functions, but some experts say five or three or eight or 10. The way that I speak with parents and teachers, I talk about 13. But it's any of these skills that I need to do right now to, with you, execute this task that we're Uh, doing right now. Now, we also use executive function when we're playing video games. We're also using it when we do homework and study and clean a bedroom or do a chore or do a job application or a college application or whatever jobs or tasks or things any of us are doing. For those of you listening, listening to this is is part of executive. You're using executive function to be able to listen and focus and concentrate and pay attention and um, prioritize and know when you can kind of fade out and focus on other things and when you really want to listen or rewind it to a part or whatever, what have you. So executive function is how the brain helps us get things done using all sorts of skills that are needed to get things done. Now, the problem that we have with executive function comes when there are non-preferred tasks that need to be done in our own best interest. And part of executive function is future thinking. And a lot of times as young people, we don't have very good executive function to think through the consequences, good or bad in the future. Oh, if I do this, this will set me up for a better future. If I do this, this is going to cause some problems. So, um, But that is part of executive function that Uh develops is this future thinking. So when it's in the moment, and we don't see a need for it, and it doesn't seem like a priority, and How do we empower somebody to do the things that they need to do to plant seeds in their life for a great future when there's this resistance because it doesn't seem important and it's a non-preferred activity and there's so many things that are more fun, that are easier, uh, that are more preferred that we'd rather be doing with our time than whatever the thing is like homework or organizing or brushing our teeth even or whatever the the thing
1: is. Okay, so... Now, as that relates to ADHD, how does that, so when talk about executive function, obviously we need it for all these things, our, our society, right? So we're not, we're, we kind of like, uh, you know, we're not, we're not running around following every impulse, which would be incredibly dangerous. And how, how does that relate to ADHD?
0: A hundred percent relates to ADHD. ADHD, essentially, if you were to look at my list of 13 executive functions, ADHD is all about those things. Now, if you look in the DSM, you could, I think I think the DSM has three groups of six challenges with ADHD that you look through. But um, either way, um, exec ADHD is about uh, the, the, it's attention. It's called attention deficit disorder, attention deficit hyperactive hyperactivity disorder. So, and the DSM is called at different things at different times. And then there are different subtypes of ADHD. Either way, what I want you to think about is the word attention. Okay. okay? how do we attend or focus or concentrate or prioritize or plan these are all about what are we attending to and when they say deficit you know there are a lot of people who complain about the word deficit for a good reason uh, because it can be misleading um but cuz they're the person with ADD does have a lot of attention going in different places but the deficit would if you're going to use that word would be coming in how do we attend to the places that are important, so there's a deficit in attending to the things that are important to get our long-term self-care, future goals met. Um, and people uh, take issue with the word disorder. You know, it, it can be very um, sure. Yeah. It, it can sound yeah, yeah. very negative. But hyperactivity has everything to do with impulsivity and, and inhibition. Yeah. So anyhow, that they, they are uh, ADHD is an executive function disorder.
1: OK, yeah. So if you're if you, you know, don't have the ability to in- inhibit distractions, to prioritize, to plan, you know, if that, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, it's developmental or it's practice or right whatever, right? Like there's a delay in that function in your brain that this is obviously something that's going to um, have have all these incredible consequences yeah the same so yeah we're still calling kids lazy and unmotivated that's so sad oh my gosh it's frustrating
0: yep yeah and then that goes to and they could have called it many different things and they could still change the name you know and you can call it whatever you want i encourage you all to call it whatever you want um because of the implications.
1: what are some things people call it that are like more positive ways. <laughs> That's what call it.
0: I don't know. I'm not someone who gets hung up on it personally.
1: I'm just curious. Just curious. Yeah, I
0: don't, I, I wouldn't even know. Um, there's a book called The mm. Gift of ADD or of ADHD. Some people, but I'm, I am I. take issue with that. Like, okay, if we were talking for hours, I'd unpack that with you. Because um, the, the problems that it causes in people's lives is no joke. So that can be misleading, but the intent of the book, I think, is great. But and there are gifts that come along with it. But I, yeah, I don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There can be strengths, I'm sure, that come along with it. But you suffered enormously, and kids who have these challenges, like these, are real challenges that are really inhibiting them in their lives. So yeah, we don't want to downplay that
0: real human suffering, and that's that's the thing. That's where it becomes a quote disorder. Like if you look at the verbiage in uh, the DSM, it says something like. They've had the person has shown such and such amount of whatever it is, six of these symptoms for x amount of time, however many months or whatever it says, and it, it it's interfering with their life. I mean, that's the thing is it's if it's interfering with your life, it's a problem. So we're looking at how how do we really uh, like build somebody's strengths, but also deal with some of these challenges to give them enough skills to be able to execute things to have a great life.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if kids are delayed or not working well in executive function, then so I'm wondering, like, as a parent, I would be wondering, like, well, okay, what's the best route for dealing with this, right? Like, I know there are a lot of places that will, you know, do Do I want to be, how can I help either, you know, we want to either, like, teach scaffold our kids to to be able to deal with them some of these things right we want to be able to advocate for kids but also like i imagine there's a lot of different modalities that can kind of come in here in the same way that you know i um i had a i had a client in mindful parenting who had a school that was really encouraging a lot of behaviorist kind of um tactics like timeouts and and punitive kind of things that weren't working for this person's ADHD kid, and found she found that you know that it, it worked better to to use more progressive tools that we teach in mindful parenting and I'm wondering like for the parent who's saying oh my gosh this might be my kid Seth is describing my kid what are some of the routes that they should go down maybe in their own kind of mindset of it is kind of what we were talking about at first but then also to to help their child. What do you wish you had had give, been given?
0: Oh, gosh. I mean, there's there's a bunch of ways to answer this question. But the first thing I'll say is that there's there are a lot of people do it, people doing really great work. And it looks different. For example, you and I are new to each other. But if you and I sat around and talked, I bet there's so much overlap. I mean, just even just from your core philosophy, like we are aligned. We are are coming at things from the same sort of philosophies, but maybe the ways that it looks or the ways we articulate it is different. Essentially, the way that I look at it is that the most important thing is relationship, and it starts with relationship, whether that's the relationship with the parents and the child, the child and the teachers, um, the teachers and their administrators, the teachers and the parents. It's all about what's called, something called attachment theory and uh, secure relating. When there is security in a relationship, when people um, have feel secure, feel seen, known, understood, heard, uh, feel like somebody has their back, then that's that secure relating, that secure attachment is what's needed in order to first help somebody help themselves or help somebody learn skills or strategies like we need that.
1: I mean, that makes so complete sense to me, because like if a kid's having a stress response because of behaviors and things are difficult, they're having a stress response, then that's even cutting off access to their prefrontal cortex even more, right? So they're not going to be learning anything in that moment. So really has to be, let's relate as human beings and let's be able to like connect with each other and feel seen and heard so that then any learning can happen at all. I mean, that that makes absolute sense to me.
0: Yep. So, and that's the first thing that I do when I'm working with students is they, you know, and I get kids that are way down the line, like they've already been struggling for a long, long time. Uh. A lot of them have already had a bunch of tutors or a bunch of programs or a bunch of this or a bunch of the shame, which we'll talk more about later. But like, so, and then they're like, who's this Seth guy? I don't want to work with some other stupid person. Like, I don't know. So my first job is to establish, Hey, I get it. You're safe. and And it's not to convince them it's to that they know. That their nervous system knows, OK, I'm safe with this person. Yeah. So that's the first thing is, is to me is secure, secure relating, secure attachment.
1: I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just want to recap here. So so car- parents can look at, is that happening at home, with us, with me, with my partner? And then also then they can look at any of the places in the school, like, is that happening in my school? Or, you know, or can I can I look for an educational environment where that kind of thing will be happening?
0: Exactly. So, yeah. So like this kiddo that that you were mentioning that was like punished, um, the, the one that you're just talking about in that school, like that punishment or, okay. you know, timeouts and things like this. That kid doesn't feel safe. How How's that kid going to feel safe to take risks, to do things like, let's say, clean out a backpack? Like that may sound silly, but the, a lot of executive functions are required to clean out a backpack and actually follow through with that and organize it in a way that's going to work for, for you are they going to feel safe if they're like always on edge about, am I going to be putting time out again? Am I going to get in trouble? I always get in trouble. I'm such a bad kid. I'm such a bad person. Like, so yeah, we have to start with uh secure attachment. And I like that you wove it into and what's happening at home. Like for anybody listening right now, there's no shame in this. We all have baggage. We all have dysfunction. We were all raised with some level of it. So there's no shame in it, you know, and, and there's a lot of, mm-hmm. um, in our culture, there's a lot of definitely there's a lot of people who believe that it's not okay to ask for help or to get help or to admit you need help or to get family therapy or your own counselor. The more we do our own work, the better off we are for our kids on so many levels. One, our nervous system is going to be more regulated, thus co-regulating to our child that, hey, we live in a safe world. I'm having a safe conversation with you. You are not being threatened right now. Uh, So it starts there and and there's so many benefits to it. But yeah, to get real honest with ourselves, like, what are we modeling as a couple, as a, as a single parent, as, um, uh, you know, what did our parents, like, anybody listening right now can say, all right, you can think about your own parents. Were they, um, did it feel secure, m- more or less? Did it feel anxious, more or less? Did it feel avoidant, more or less? That's sort of the basic breakdown. Like, that's super basic. So, there are books written about this. So, don't say, oh, Seth said this is what attachment theory is all about. It's about a lot more than that. But, right. essentially… Um, there are these, we basically have secure and insecure. There are two basic types. And then you can break down insecure and do a bunch of types. But, but essentially, Bye. secure feels, it's pretty simple. I feel seen. Like, you and I are talking right now, and we see it for those listening, we see each other on video right now. Like, we're looking at each other. We're, uh, we're co-regulating. I'm reading your nervous system, you're reading mine. We're not thinking about it we, I'm, I'm saying, am are, am I safe? You're saying, are you safe? Like we're, our nervous systems are constantly doing this. So we have to know, I, but I feel with you heard and seen and known and understood. And like you have a curiosity and like not judged and things like this. And we really want to start there with our kids. So, and I'm going to follow up after that, but did you want to
1: Yeah, no, I mean, this it's so interesting though, because I imagine for a, ki- a parent with a Uh, an ADHD kid or those symptoms and things like that, they may have exhibited to their kid like a bunch of frustration because they're confused. They're maybe worried for their kid. Right. They may be frustrated. Why can't you just do this thing that I'm asking you to do? Right. So that may, you know, have led to feelings of unsafety for that child like that. I'm not going to ask mom about cleaning my backpack because she's just going to freak out at me. Right. Right. So I imagine that when we get to this point, you know, you, we may be at a point where we have to kind of like backtrack and really kind of reestablish some of that that safety and, and that like loving security first. And I love that you you mentioned like nobody, you know, nobody <laughs> nobody's immune to it. Like, no, we're not, none of us can do it perfectly. That's for sure.
0: Yep. I'm not above it. Yeah.
1: But we want to think like, oh, you know, we don't want to be that source of you know, and, and and I think I guess I don't know. I'm answering my own question here. But like, you know, it, if we that is the case for you and you're listening to this, like that's something you can acknowledge. Hey, I'm really sorry that I made you feel this way about these things. I realize, you know, I'm I want to tell you I'm here to help you. Right. Like that's where we probably the stance that we really need to come from is this place of what does your child need to succeed and how can you be a helper in that way? Like, how can you be, you know, someone who can be a coach and a scaffold for those things? I imagine.
0: Yeah. And, and you, and again, we may have learned like we have, may have been raised with messages of if somebody's not doing something, they're just lazy. Yeah. And the person listening, you right now, may have, may have said to your kid today, stop being lazy, motivate yourself. Just get started. What's going on, you know? And that's not, those messages that you've learned are not gonna just go away overnight too. And so don't shame yourself if you say things that, uh, that you don't intend to say in the moment. But I love what you just said about, you know, we can, we can do, you didn't use these words, but we can do healing around this and say, hey, uh, that, that is secure to be, to say, hey, th- these are some things I've said, um, really, that's not my intention. And like, this is healing. Uh, healing needs to happen, you know. So, either way, we want to. We we don't have to be perfect by any means, but we want to move more and more in the direction of secure relating and further away from anxious or avoidant types of relating. So that's what that is. What in my opinion is going to be most helpful. Now, part of how we do that, I, maybe all of how we do that, is what you talk about with mindfulness, being mindful. How do we be mindful? Well, we do the hard work around this stuff. We start to notice, oh, I said this. Oh, I did that. Oh, my nervous system does this in these situations. And we start to notice. I love the word notice in terms of mindfulness, but we start to notice, be mi- become mindful of these experiences, thoughts, emotions that we're having the more we are mindful of these things and notice these things and do the work around it that allows us to be more mindful, the more we can respond rather than react in the situation, which means the more we can support our child the way we really want to support our child. So part of it, this starts with that, with with the relating, and then we move into, not necessarily in that, and I should say simultaneously, we move into, well, our kiddo, you know, it's not like we're gonna like connect a bunch of executive function neurons by doing the bright perfect magic thing.
1: Tuesday. <laughs> you know,
0: it's like they need to be yeah. very um empathetically and compassionately and, and lovingly uh, taught how to do the systems and or in organizational structures that they need to manage school and life and to plan and to organize and to declutter and to Um, manage impulsivity and inhibit when it's appropriate and to do any, any of the, uh, to focus or pay attention or remove distractions um, or to task initiate.
1: Stay tuned for more mindful mama podcast right after this break.
3: Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place.
1: How do we teach kids to limit impulsivity? Like if they're supposed to be, you know, maybe having time to do homework and they're getting distracted by a bunch of other things, like, oh, let's put it into a real situation. Like, what does that look like?
0: Yeah. I mean, if if I was coaching you, we would be having a really long discussion about this because there are a lot of things to consider in every case is different. So a term that I use is called Frankenstudy. There's, I'm, I'm, I like guitars and there's a guitar called Uh, Frankenstrad, which is Eddie Van Halen's guitar, one of the most important guitars in guitar rock and roll history. (laughs) But um, he Frankenstein that guitar with all these parts and pieces from all different guitars and makes one of the most iconic guitars in history. And when we are helping a child learn to navigate school and life and we know, yeah, you need to know how to plan. But There's no one planner that's the best planner for everybody. There's no, you know, binder or folder system or this or that. And so often we want to find, you know, we want to say, oh, well, this works for me. So just do this. No. How do we Frankenstein systems for a kid? How do we really customize it? So the question you're asking is a very fair question. Put this into a real situation. But the way I'm going to handle the situation is going to be different for everybody. But I'll talk both general and specific as I answer your question here. In uh, general ways, um, I talk about systems, mindsets, habits, and routines. So I want to give a kid systems, like how do you plan, how do you organize, how do you manage time, how do you this, that, and the other. Systems, um, mindsets. Okay, the mindset is, I give up, this is stupid, why do I have to do this? I'll do it later, I'll do it in five minutes, I'll do it tomorrow, I'm never going to do it, I don't need to do this. Uh, Resistance, 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 avoidance, that's the mindset. So how do we become mindful, notice, listen to that resistance and say, yeah, I don't feel like doing this. This is not my favorite teacher. It's not my favorite subject. And this homework seems completely useless, but I do want a great life. I do love who I am. I do want a great future. I do want opportunities and choices and possibilities. So how do I approach it? How do we have mindsets? How do that to, wor- to sort of sift through life and figure out, mm-hmm. yeah, I A complete resistance around this, but this is valuable in my life in this way. And this is, how how do we learn skills for that? So systems, mindsets, and then habits and routines. If if I teach you a great system, if I teach you the perfect planner system or the perfect one for you, and you don't have a habit or routine to use it, it's no good. So we need systems, habits, mindsets, and routines. So that's how I teach people in a general way. And then I go further by saying, when we first learned these things, we're at this sort of foundational place. So, foundations is what I teach first—the foundations of the systems, mindsets, habits, routines. Then, step two would be implementation: how do we practice using these? Then, step three is maintenance. Now that we're we're pretty good at it, that's when people don't need a coach or anything anymore. It's like, oh yeah, I've got a great system. It's not perfect, but I am independently capable of figuring out how to polish the sword, sharpen the sword on my own, and getting better at these things. So we're trying to get somebody to just this maintenance mode where they have good enough things in place that they've turned, they've turned a corner. It's not perfect, but they're not where they were. They've turned a corner with systems, mindsets, habits, and routines where they've had a foundation, they've implemented them enough where now they can maintain them and, and use them. And, they're, and this is where like the parent can go, okay, finally, It's not perfect, but we can really breathe this of relief. Like this kiddo is able to move in the direction they need to.
1: And so this is kind of like the learning process, right? Like first, the, I mean, the idea I think of is like, first we do it for them, then we do it with them, then we watch them do it, and then they do it on their own, right? So it's all about those sort of middle steps in there. Yeah,
0: yeah. And and that, I th- you used the word scaffolding earlier, is that right? Uh-huh. That's your scaffolding, yeah.
1: Scaffolding. Okay, systems, mindsets, habits, and routines. And this is all coming from a place of security and support. And you're probably talking to your kid about what's happening in their brain, right? Like, hey, like this is something that's uh, that you need some support on, you know, because X, Y, Z and that's fine. And that's just part of life, right?
0: Yeah. Ideally, you're having yeah great dialogue around this. Yeah. Shame free, compassionate, supportive dialogue around this like you would want with anything.
1: Yeah, because they need to understand Okay. So gosh, I wish we, you know, we had, there's so much, obviously we could talk about this with it. I know the parents of ADHD kids are like, keep going, keep talking. But I think it's so important to touch on the the, the piece of the shame. And and is it possible to shame proof our kids who are suffering in this way from comments and judgments from other adults and kids who just don't know?
0: Yeah, I would say, um, I, I don't know if it's possible to shame proof anybody. And what I'm, but but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be putting effort towards whatever that would look like. And the reason I say that is because a lot of what I've learned is that there's value in, um, again, to the mindfulness, to noticing a response and a reaction. I still, you know, you and I are uh, in this uh, digital world. I get really sometimes mean YouTube comments, weird comments, robots, things like that, you know, and it's like I still am like, what is that about? That's not what I said in the video or the, you know, like and so um, we still I'm still human. Right. And so I'm just using that as an example that we can use here, like. Like I, you would think I'd be pretty far down the line of not being impacted. You are now by a robot, but the the, nope. the reason I say that is because no impact. I don't really get under my skin because I have like I'm not shame proof. Yeah. you know, it, it's like, um, but the the amount of impact it has on me is so minimal because I have tools around it. So that's what we want to do is like give them tools to to experience and notice what they're nervous system is feeling what their n- narrative and their story and their mind and their mindset and their perspective of the thing is and have the tools to say wow when that thing happened i felt shame i felt horrible about myself but then i got to reflect and say that is not who i am this is who i am and this is what was going to be able to take stock of a situation and look at it and move through it and Uh, deal with uncomfortable feelings and not be ruled and owned by uncomfortable feelings, but to be able to notice them and say, oh, this is what happened in my body when this thing happened. And these are the thoughts that I had. And and these are the thoughts I want to keep. And these are the ones that are not serving me. So to have tools around that stuff, I think is how we sort of move towards shame-proofing kids, if you will. Now, what the heck does that look like? How, how do we do that? I, I, how do you do that? And then I'll, I'll, I'll give you sort of where my brain goes with that.
1: I guess what I would say, I would start to notice, I would notice what are the thoughts that I'm having. I would notice the feelings. I would work. I would feel them. I would kind of be there with them. And then I would start to just question, right, is that true? Is that really, really true? And is this helpful? You know, is if I'm having the thought that I'm a terrible parent, I'm a crappy podcast host, whatever it is, like, is that really, you know, is that a helpful thought? No, it's not. It it doesn't even matter, ultimately, if it's true or not. It just matters. Is it helpful to like am I going to show up in the world better if I tell myself I'm a terrible podcast host? No, I'm going to be like a mess, right? So I like to be very practical about it in some ways, but then really feel the feelings.
0: And how did you learn those skills?
1: I learned them from, you know, mindfulness teachers and, and things like that for many years, you know, but it was just about talking about them. And I think that, Learning, I know. I'm kind of hoping our kids can learn it from us, right? I'm hoping we can be like verbal and transparent enough in our own work that they can see, like, oh, this is normal that we have difficult feelings, and that we that people have to deal with them and, and process them, right? Because we don't process them, then it's like some unprocessed yucky emotional hamburger that's just going to come out in some gross way, right? We have to process. We have to have a digestive system for it.
0: And what was like one of the like books or classes or people or something that really was a game changer for you?
1: For me, the Rain Process um, by Tara Brock. The what? Rain Process by Tara Brock. Oh. And I, t- I talk about it in Raising Good Humans, but it's it's Rain. It's just a process for taking care of our difficult feelings. And it's, I mean, it stands for recognize, accept, or allow, investigate, and then
0: nurture with self compassion. Nice. Nice. Yeah. One, one of mine was, uh, um, Wherever You Go, There You Are, John Cabot's in. Love that book. <laughs> uh, so I I think that w- what's good about us talking about this is that and noticing how, for both of us, this is something that's taken a very long time. Oh. It doesn't have to take as long with kids because we're in the unique position that we can mindfully, intentionally teach them these skills by us, like, learning a lot about it and learning some tool- cool tools. But um, one of the things that I do a lot is I do different types of temperature checks with kids. So, and they're very, like you said, they're very open-ended. Um, and what we often do is we resort to sort of lectures on logic and reason with our kids, trying to get them to see the light rather than allowing them, to, uh, like asking more open-ended questions, allowing them to come up with their own solutions. Um, because not always, but oftentimes they actually will, if we guide them with open-ended questions, come up with their own great solution where there's buy-in and ownership and they're more likely to do it. So temperature check is a great way to do that. So first we're doing our own deep inner work, regulating ourselves, you know, we're going to be hopefully be approaching them in a place from a regulated place and a a more responsive and less reactive place in the first place. But then doing temperature checks is a great way to non-judgmentally be like, how's it going with this or that? So you can do temperature checks with a class, a teacher, a day, how was your day? a week a situation um any anything you can imagine you can do a temperature check mm. one of them that I'll do is called a high low so i'll say like hey what's your high low from this podcast episode what's the best thing at, about it and the worst thing about it and you'd answer me however but that gives me a lot of insight in that's so much deeper into what's going on that then can a- allow more dialogue for us so or i might say hey, tell me about your podcast since you started it. What's your temperature check on it overall, on a one through 10? And you're like, oh, well, it's an eight or it's a six. Right. Or I say, well, what about this? What about your audience? What's your temperature on the audience? What about your temperature on the technology part of it? Or I can ask specific things and you can be like, oh, that part's a three. And I can be like, why? So I'll say, what's your temperature? They'll say the number. I'll say why. Then they say whatever.
1: Well, I love this, stuff. Because a number is much easier to say than all the stuff about after why. This is brilliant. It's, i and that's, it's the, an, yeah, I don't know, that's the genius of what the temperature check is. Cause if you just say a number, it's easy. It's an easy answer. I love this.
0: And yeah, so I'll say, what's the number? Then I'll say, why? And then I'll give more wait time. So our impulse is after they say why is for us to mess it up by responding too soon. So a lot of times I'll just keep quiet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I'll say, tell me more. Or I'll say, Go ahead. I'm, I'm still listening. Like I, I want after that for initial why I, I want to oh. let them know emotionally uh, that their nervous system is still safe to keep talking because they're so used to being cut off and not being able to, to complete thoughts. Oh. So I'll say, tell me more or whatever. So it's, what is it? What, what's the number? Why? Tell me more. So wait time. However you want to look at it, unpack it more. Then what would it take? Make it one number higher. So if it's three, what would it take to make it a four? If it's a ten, what would it take to make it a ten point one? If it's one of those kiddos, it was a six. What would it take to be a six point one three eight seven five and whatever they can relate to? But what would it take to make it a tiny bit better? I'm not saying what would it take to make a three a ten, because that feels too far. And what happens is, is when it's that small of an increment, you get amazing responses, and they're like, "Well, blah blah blah," and it's like, "Oh, that's your own answer. That's." Pretty good answer. How do we do that? So, temperature checks for me are 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 a great way to help really get real information, to help really create more uh, secure attachment and relating, and to help them with buying and ownership come up with better um, ways to handle situations and related. Obviously, back to executing, execution, executive function, or doing the things that you need to do to have a future choices and possibilities.
1: Seth, we have to go. And um, thank you so much for your time and the work that you do for kids. And thank you for taking this incredible challenge in your life and making it something that has given so much fruit. It's like truly the personification of no mud, no lotus. It's like really beautiful. So uh, just thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast here today. Where can people find out more about you and what you do?
0: Well, thanks for having me, and thanks for what you do and how you show up in the world and for creating this. Um, I know it you've put, put a lot into what you do, so I respect that. So I have a site, sethperler.com, S-E-T-H-P-E-R-L-E-R. That's my hub. You can find me on YouTube. Look up Executive Function or Seth Perler. You can find me on a bunch of podcasts. Look up Seth Perler and podcasts. And I have a summit called executivefunctionsummit.com. TFOS, the Executive Function Online Summit, but it's for parents, but we get a lot of teachers and therapists, executivefunctionsummit.com. And it's a free summit. You can buy a paid version with a bunch of bonuses, but it is amazing, free, like I get a bunch of uh, experts that show up and we go deep. It's fantastic. And those are the places to find me.
1: Thank you so much for listening. I really love talking to Seth. I hope you got as much out of it as I did, because it really jives with everything we do at Mindful Parenting and with Raising Good Humans. Yes, 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 yes. Everything Seth said so, so right on. So thank you. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it. If you share it on Instagram, tag me in it at Mindful Mama Mentor. You can share it in your stories. You just share it with your friends who also have ADHD kids. Yeah. And a big shout out and thanks to everyone who leaves a rating and review because that makes such a big difference. So I want to give a shout out to Little A's Mommy, who left a five-star review and said, so helpful and informative. This podcast is so helpful and reminds me to take a breath, be more present, and constantly practice non-reactive parenting. Woot! I have little A's mommy. I love that. So glad that this helped you. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for being here. I'm glad to be here with you on this journey. I'm glad that this community is walking together into a different future that is more healing. Amen. Amen to all that. I hope you have a restful, peaceful, connected present week, and I will be back talking to you again next week. Namaste.